0: From there, all I focused on was multifamily. So it was a couple books and my focus on the, just keeping it in that one niche and being able to start actually speaking the language. That's when people will start taking you seriously. When you're able to have intelligent conversations with brokers and potential partners and investors, um, you know, and then that's when people start taking you seriously. So, you know, you have to get just choose one, go horizontal across all every, these different asset classes, just so you could pick one and go, you know, vertical deep, and just learn it really well and be able to speak it at a high level. That's, um, you should be a, you're, you know, one of your first steps. Welcome to Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Tali, where we focus on the deals. Our guests are real estate closers who will share in detail the whole process from finding a deal to closing it, as well as
1: strategies and tips to help you do the same. Here's your host, Annette Lee. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Deal Closers. I am your host, Annette Lee, and my guest today is Tim Kelly. Welcome, Tim.
0: Annette, thank you so much. I'm honored to be chatting with you.
1: I am super excited because I don't know if I share this with you, but when I was investing by myself, isolated in real estate for five years, I went to a um, Bigger Packets webinar. And from there, I started discovering a little bit how to do multifamily, bigger multifamily because I was doing duplexes. And I listened to your podcast with uh, Jay Helms. And that really inspired me to, to go bigger. And, and, you know, I, that's how I discovered syndications and, uh, you know, doing JVs with other people and not investing by yourself. So that Mm -hmm. started, that episode literally started my quest and, you know, networking. And later on, I joined Jay's mastermind that helped me immensely. So if you guys are looking for a good mastermind, you can, um, Join the w2 capitalist and I think Tim, you have also a mastermind correct
0: that is correct Jay is my boy my business partner I'm part of the w2 capitalist uh, you know community with him and um, but yeah I have my own my own military multi-family uh, mastermind
1: yeah amazing so anyway so the that episode really helped me and grow so much. Started that that was like the seed that started, you know, uh, my growth. So now I am that's, doing a podcast, yeah. which is something that I never thought a year ago. So thank you for I mean, that. that's
0: super special, and it was an, such an honor to be on bigger pockets, and it really gets you to the next level um, because you get a lot more exposure. And if you continue pursuing it, all these people will want to interview you and help you share your story. And that's really what everybody should strive to do: just share your story with other people, help other people you know, document your journey and stuff. And, um, it's, it's, it's been cool. So, and it's an honored just to think that, I, you know, I helped you have that, you know, that complete paradigm shift and, um, kind of go bigger. And, uh, you know, I remember having that same epiphany. So, um, but yeah.
1: All right. So share with my audience, how did you get into real estate?
0: Yeah, yeah. Good question. So right now I'm actually still technically active duty in the military uh, until later this year. I'm currently going through a a very cool transitioning program where I don't really have to report. I just kind of take care of my stuff and I'm able to focus on my businesses. Um, So I'm still, like I said, still active duty on 2014. I went on a deployment and just had a bunch of books with me. I've always been a fan of personal finance and building wealth. And I've always just wanted to know more how to, how to control myself. And then I just kept seeing this trend, real estate, this and real estate, that. This is why anybody could do real estate. This is why, you know, people, more people are created into millionaires, millionaires every single year and decade because of real estate. So I'm like, well, that's interesting. So got off that deployment, just dove in and just completely read all kinds of books, went to conferences, you know, dove into my education, I like consumed a lot uh, and then enough to get really disorganized and unfocused. And then I decided <laughs> to focus and that was multifamily investing. And then, you know, that was back probably for about four years ago when I had that epiphany. And then now I've been investing in um, just mostly apartment communities, mobile home communities. And I love small multifamily, um, all over the Southeast and Midwest. Um, you know, I've helped close over a thousand doors in both all those asset classes. So, um, that's why I like to separate because now we've created a military community where we're helping other military members do the same thing. Um, just to set themselves up for whenever they decide to separate from the military. So um, that's pretty much, yeah, in a nutshell.
1: <laughs> and, and I, I love that, you know, you, your company active duty passive income is very focused on one niche, which is the military helping the military achieve uh, financial freedom. How did this uh, company start and how did, How did it
0: uh, happen? Amazing to this day, still uh, active duty Marine Markeon (coughs) Sitch. He's the founder and kind of the visionary. And he went to the Naval Academy with Mike Foster, the podcast host. They went to the Naval Academy together, hung out, started to get to know each other. Realized they both were interested in real estate investing and mindset growth, and just getting more out of life. and And then, so they kind of started the podcast, the Facebook group. They kind of put this awesome academy together, the, the our course um, to teach military how to invest in real estate. and And then, you know, I was on because of that bigger pockets podcast. You know, Eric Upchurch was just then added to the team too. They kind of all. We're running in the same circles, and they got together. Then they heard me on the Bigger Pockets podcast. Eric just called me because I gave out my cell phone number, and we just had one conversation, and it was just forever gone. Like we just were working together from that moment. We com- immediately clicked, and we just all dove in. And now we're all just building and co-owners of this amazing community, and, and it's a, just an ecosystem and movement um, with a best selling book and a podcast and a very high-growing um, Facebook group. Our, our courses and masterminds, um, are, are helping a lot of people all over the world, essentially that are in the military or just got out of the military, create financial freedom. Uh, it's definitely just humbling. And, uh, I love doing it every day. I mean. It's easy to wake up to know i'm able to go like push that needle forward you know
1: yes and i'm, I'm see, i've been seeing in the last year only the the growth that it's, it's having you know like from the course to the mastermind and you know all the investing that you guys are doing so it's an amazing uh community i know a couple of uh, the people in your community and they are awesome people as well all right so i skip your bio. So let me read your bio for everybody that don't know you yet. So Tim is an active duty chief petty officer in the United States Navy and has been serving his country for 14 years. Now stationed on shore duty in Pensacola, Florida, he is fully pursuing his dream of owning and operating multifamily real estate and helping others realize their financial freedom goals. Tim has been investing in real estate since 2011, where, where he purchased His first single family resident with the intention of forcing appreciation and flipping for a profit. That was also his first house hack. And he quickly learned the benefits of long-term buy and hold real estate were much more aligned with his goals. So you said that you, you know, you started studying and you got like, you know, you were like looking at everything and you didn't know. So what, what did you, what was the thing that made you focus on multifamily?
0: Um, the fact that I was, you know, I came across just a couple, a couple of books and I opened my mind up and I didn't want to like really hone in on something hard until I kind of knew really the big picture. What are all the ways I can get involved and really generate wealth and and legacy wealth in real estate and you, single family flipping single family hold, you know, multifamily, small multifamily hold big multifamily commercial, all these different strategies and, and I didn't really lean hard into one until I like, like had all of them, like basic knowledge of all of them. And then I, I started reading specifically about multifamily because it, the first book I read, which was the ABCs of real estate by Ken McElroy, the, the rich dad advisor. He's a real estate advisor to Robert Kiyosaki and uh, the ABCs of real estate. I, I read that book and I, it just clicked and I was like, this makes sense this will, I believe this will help me get to my financial freedom, you know, number faster. And I can, I know I could do it. And then, then I realized like, you you know, you, it's not all on you. You just build a team of people that could just go towards the same goal that had the same vision and, you know, bring different things to the table and different aspects of the business and um, kind of just, It was from there, all I focused on was multifamily. So it was a couple books and my focus on the, just keeping it in that one niche and being able to start actually speaking the language. That's when people will start taking you seriously. When you're able to have intelligent conversations with brokers and potential partners and investors, um, you know and then that's when people start taking you seriously so you know you have to get just choose one go horizontal across all every these different asset classes just so you could pick one and go you know vertical deep and just learn it really well and be able to speak it at a high level that's um you should be a you're, you know one of your first
1: steps awesome the deal All right. So let's talk about the deal. What deal do you uh, want to talk about? What asset type and where is it located?
0: I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Do you want me to talk about my fourplex acquisition um, with a two or three K FHA loan or the mobile home park acquisition?
1: Actually, I want to, I want to go into the fourplex, uh, the fourplex, because you, you mentioned that it was a really cool loan. And I think uh, people need to know about that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I learned about this loan. It's an FHA loan called the 203K. FHA loan It's just the, actually the tax code number 203K, um, but it allows you to wrap the cost of rehab into the loan. Um, so just to give you numbers, you know, I find a property, a four unit property that's pro, you know, producing income for 150 K in a great neighborhood in Pensacola. Right. And I put a hundred K of rehab into it and just wrap that into the loan. So it's about a $250,000 project, right? I only have to put 3.5% down. So it was about 15 to 16 K after closing costs and all in money for the earnest money and for the, you know, um, the home inspections and all the fees. And, you know, I never actually ended living in it, but it's intended as a owner occupied property. So you could do it up to four units. You could do a single family home duplex. And as, as long as you have the intentions of kind of living in one unit and running out the others called house hacking, um, this is just one of the best ways that I found you could really force a lot of appreciation. I mean, it's cash load. Over two grand since day one, a month plus. I've you know just took out fifty k cash tax-free on a cash-out refi, um, and so I mean the ROI at this point is infinite, um, and it's in a great growing neighborhood. So, two or three k FHA loans are amazing.
1: Yeah, that sounds amazing. But let me unpack a little bit everything that we talk for the people that are new and they want to understand what everything is. Um, so. The type of asset, you said it was in a good neighborhood, but, you know, $100,000 in repairs, that's a pretty big chunk. So what type of asset was it and what type of repairs did you have to, to make?
0: Yeah. Great question. Let's, um, every single four, all four of the units had some kind of rehab. Um, so it was kind of like a main house divided up into three units and then a two car garage that was just converted into a unit before I bought it. So it was already a unit. So in, in the back unit, I mean, new floors, new cabinets and new, new appliances, um, you know, new windows, new decks back in front. And then in the main house, you know, a couple new bathrooms mostly like completely new kitchens just paint windows um you know so i got it's almost completely a gut but there was it was livable before but i just really upgraded it because it was in like a a-ish neighborhood but it was like a c property, ABC, like D is war zone. It was like a really kind of low income rundown. So I forced a lot of appreciation in one of the best neighborhoods. And I immediately now it's worth about 500, you know, to 600 K and it's paying me every single month. Um, and other people are paying that debt down for me. So
1: absolutely. It's a, so
0: it's just a great asset. Yeah. So
1: basically you found the ugliest and worst house in the neighborhood and then you just put some money into it and then you made it comparable to everything else in the neighborhood or even better to the other properties in the neighborhood. And so you force the uh, the value, the appreciation of this property. Awesome. So yeah. you mentioned house hacking. So can you explain to people that don't know what house hacking is and how it works?
0: Yeah. I mean, this is why we really love teaching the military about this using their VA loan, right? So house hacking if you are in a single family home, it's got to maybe three or four bedrooms. You could just buy the house. You, you are occupying one of the bedrooms and then you rent out the other bedrooms. And most of the time you'll live for free. Maybe you'll cash flow like all, everything will be covered for you. And you're just in a position where you're, you're, you're getting experience doing a lot of things. You're a homeowner, you're kind of an investor, especially if you get multiple units, you know, and, and you're, you're able to manage tenants if you want, or you could, you know, have another manager manage for you. And you're just in a position where you're saving so much money. So you're about to, you're able to stack up a lot of your savings, accelerate your savings. And really while you're learning, if you want to continue doing it, you, as you're stacking it up, you're, you, are you are getting experience and you're learning more specifically about the one acts that class you want to like really hone in on. Um, So.
1: That's awesome. All right. So then you mentioned ROI. So for people that don't know, what's ROI.
0: Return that is return on investment. So you know, in the investing world, whether it's a stock or bond or mutual fund or real estate, you know, your what you invest. The key metric is what are you getting and what is your return on investment (ROI). You know, four, five, six, seven, eight in the stock market might it is likely because it's going to go up and down. But in real estate, it's usually a ten-plus return if you buy and hold. But even if you passively invest, you can get like a nine, eight percent cash on cash return plus you're getting ownership and tax benefits on top of that as well so that's why a lot of smart and accredited investors like investing their money in real estate and we so we partner with them to buy the large you know commercial property
1: all right so going back to the deal how did you find this deal
0: i was living in virginia beach i got orders down here to Um, Pensacola. The minute I got orders, which was like maybe eight months before I actually got here, immediately started networking with other people on bigger pockets. Um, you know, and and I connected with agents, other partners, some other managers in the area. Just built a network here before I even got here. And then while I was in transition, you know, I came down here a couple times to look at about twelve different properties. So I connected with an agent who showed me and walked me up tons of properties around the area. I'm like, yep, that's the one, and so it was simple. It was just, I, I created a network. I just really relied on them to like choose the best properties. And we kind of went around. So it was a really good agent. And then I found a really good property manager and, um, you know, it's just worked out really well. So that's kind of a little bit about how that transition went. Yeah.
1: And you were specifically looking for a, for a multiple unit at this point, correct?
0: Yeah. Like I was focused on large multifamily, you know, big apartment complexes, but I knew I wanted to get a, a, a live-in by my own property that I live in and get as many doors as possible under one roof. And with that, you can get up to four units with residential owner-occupied lending, right? So um, I was looking specifically for a fourplex um, that I could house hack in a great neighborhood and then I'll eventually rent out and it'll just be a cash flowing fourplex. So Um, I had that intent, you know, that, that, that was my intent while I was like looking at the larger deals too.
1: That's awesome. All right. So tell us the financing part, right? So you decided to use a 203k loan, but you could have also used a VA loan. So why did you decide to go one way and not the other?
0: Because I am a vet and I just actually sold the property in Virginia Beach that in the, so I freed up my whole VA loan benefit. So I had really my high whole entire VA loan benefit, but I I was more attracted to the rehab component that you could wrap the cost of rehab into the loan and really for very little down, even though the VA loan is 0% down, at that time I didn't know, but now the VA, you could wrap the cost of rehab into VA loans and they order development loans like construction, but then I actually did that on my next property. I did the same thing kind of in the same area on a triplex with a VA rehab loan where I lived in a single family home and then had the duplex and they, we gutted everything. It was all brand new in like a historic district of Pensacola. And that's where we lived for like about a year and a half. And now we live somewhere else, but now that's a fourplex and a triplex. And so one was a two K loan. One was the VA rehab loan.
1: All right. So for people that are not veterans, then you have the option of doing the 203k loan. And if you're a veteran, then you can take advantage of the VA rehab loan. All right. Is there any specific re- requisites um, besides being or, or intending to being an owner occupied when you do the when you use the 203k loan?
0: Yeah, you have to have the intentions of living in one of the units for six months and one day. Um, I mean, after that, you know, if if you did have the intentions and life changed, life changed. You know, then it's okay. You just say well now I'm moving. I'm just gonna run out and this is why we're moving. You know, you just have to speak to the lender through either a form, through your broker, whoever you're dealing with. Um, you know, it, yeah, it's just it kind of it's how you the relationship that you have and how kind of how you work that system.
1: Yeah. Okay, and are lenders familiar with these loans because I've never had a lender offer me this product, for example.
0: Yeah,
1: how did you find about it? How did
0: exactly. you find it out? Exactly, it's just in, asking about it. Most, I'm not going to say I can't give you a ratio. Like this is how many lenders actually offer it. I'll say less than half. You know, um, probably know about it, right? And then like maybe a smaller percentage actually carry that product, right? And luckily there was a local bank right here in Pensacola that did the VA rehab loan and the 203 K loan. Um, but you know, it's it, there. I believe if you if you put enough time into finding that person you could probably get it figured out you know
1: absolutely is the interest rate higher on this type of loans or a little or maybe bit that's why they don't uh, offer it
0: a, a little a little bit but they make more money off of it is what you're saying because there actually is more work because you have to get like a licensed bonded um and insured gc you know general contractor to, to help you and they have to work with the bank so there's a lot more paperwork and red tape Um, so the bank has to do more work. So they do charge a little bit more for it. Um, but it's, it's not much. And like I said, ROI, ROI is infinite at this point, you know, point again, because of how little I had to put down and what I've already taken back out and all the other equity growth. But yeah, it's a little bit higher than your regular rates.
1: Okay. So it it may be a little bit more, you know, paperwork because you have, you have to get a GC to work with the bank. So you have to get a GC that is familiar with this process as well. Right.
0: Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of contractors who kind of sort of know about it, but they've they've never done one because they're not willing to work with the bank because there are more, uh, again, more admin, more paperwork to fill out. They, the bank controls your draws. They actually issue the draw to me. Then I have to give the draw to the contractor. So they have to be very patient and open to it. But if you find someone who's actually done it, that's who you should be gravitating to because they could actually do it. They're familiar with it. Um, but it all depends. You have to just ask. Yeah. And I can't give you, this is how many contractors probably have done it, but it's many have, many haven't. It all depends on where you're at.
1: All right. So the, the, going back to the, the price, um, did you have any negotiation negotiations to get to the 150,000? I mean, that's a, a killer price for a four unit. Y-
0: yeah, it was listed around two, like 200. And we kind of went back and forth for a while. Um, not I mean, I was only there for a weekend, so it was only not a while be like, you know, it was just one negotiation, but yeah, I mean, we kind of went back and forth and listed for one like 95 or 200 and we kind of just because of the inspection and I kind of really stressed how much work I'm going to have to put into it. So I was able to get a lot of leverage plus not many people were looking for like a rundown fourplex, you know, that, that you want to have to put work in. That's the only thing. Now there's probably tons of people looking for that, those types of properties, right? More and more. Um, but at the, at the time, I don't think there was a lot, a whole lot of interest in it. So I had the negotiation power too.
1: Was the property on the market for a while or was it like a new listing?
0: No, it was, it was listed for about three months ish. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, if I remember correctly.
1: Right. So the owners were a little bit ready to kind of, sell it at this point you know they had been waiting for the highest price and they didn't get it so they might have been more open to negotiations
0: plus it was super distressed you could tell they they weren't managed well and they it was a lot of deferred maintenance
1: was it occupied
0: yeah it was fully occupied and like some dangerous type of scenarios where there was like a preg- the pregnant uh, you know, woman was upstairs and there was a gas leak that nobody did anything about. And you know, there was some kind of, so there was a lot of inspections and a lot of things that we had to do to comply and pull permits with the city, but um, it, they should not have been living there. It was not, you know, that's a why we had a low income tenant base.
1: Right. So what did you do with these tenants? Did you have to wait? Were they on leases? Did you have to wait or did you just, because it was not a safe environment, you were able to move them somewhere else?
0: Yeah. So they didn't have leases. Obviously it was mismanaged, no leases in place. They were getting like paying cash every month. Right. And so because I was, I was rehabbing every single, um, unit I did I worked with the title company and their attorney and basically had what are called estoppel agreements or estoppel letters where even though they didn't have a lease so they they had no grounds to stand on that they had the authority to even be on that property right uh, but I wanted to give them what they were entitled. So I say, Hey, 30, you know, 30 or 60 days in advance, we issued them the letter say, Hey, this is when we're closing. This is when you're going to have to be out. And then 30 days, you know, so they had plenty of time, plenty of heads up, but these are your stop agreements because this, this property is no longer going to be livable. Um, so that, that's it. It was a simple process and title company, title attorney help helped us through that. And, um, and so yeah, but it it varies from every state is different for landlord tenant type stuff. So that's a really good person to have on your team. You know, if you're in a different area or whatever, someone who's familiar with the landlord tenant laws um, is is really great
1: to have on your team. Awesome. All right. So how long was the construction once you started doing the construction on that fourplex?
0: It was just over six months. Um, actually, we're. Su- they agreed initially to be completed at, in 90 days, right? But because of logical delays, I mean, they weren't getting draws, but it's just things that they had to wait on, things that they had changed was the scope of work, you know, increased a lot, you know, from after what we agreed to. And then we started rehabbing and obviously you discover more. Um, so there was obvious delays and, and then, so it was about six months where I was able to actually close and, and then it was been fully occupied ever since.
1: All right. So on this 203 loan, so, you know, you said that you had a hundred thousand dollars for rehab. Did you have to have a budget before getting the loan of how much this rehab was going to be? Or as you went, they would like, if you had more stuff, they would increase it. How does it work?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, the reason why I was able to put a hundred K was because the market value of that property was like three or three fifty, and I was getting it for one fifty and I was, you know, then I could afford to wrap another hundred K into it. And because it was only about a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar loan, it's well under the what's called the ARV, the after repair value of that property. Um, because I'm for like once you know, they appraise it obviously very high once I put a hundred K into it. So well below. And, and so you have to have everything agreed to before you even close. So everything's agreed to, you know, everything is kind of bullet point in this room. You're going to do this for this price, you know, on that property, you're going to do that at this price. And so the bank agrees, the buyer agrees, the contractor agrees, and then you close. And then they have to start doing work they get an initial draw they start doing work and then until they complete like 50 percent of the work and they'll get the next draw right but it has to go through me um so you are kind of you're managing contractors and you're managing the bank process um but it's very simple if you just ask the right questions you know just, does that did i answer your question
1: <laughs> yeah well i was wondering if like you were able to increase your the amount like you said that you found stuff and you increase the scope um but you only had you had already agreed to this price, right? Like you yeah. had already agreed to 100,000 in construction. So were you able to modify that amount and get more or you had to just work with that and put your own money?
0: Yeah, that is that is a great question. So um, you are able to modify the loan if something significant comes up to renegotiate and just say, hey, look, you know, obviously the ARV, there's plenty of, of, of space and arbitrage and, and in between. Um, I did not have to do that though. So we I was able to just, Continue negotiating with the contractor to keep everything in the budget that we already like agreed to. So I work with them a little bit on that too.
1: Awesome. All right. Um, Okay. So let's go now to the um, to the exit strategy. Uh, But before then, how much cash flow were you getting uh, when you bought it with the tenants that you had, and how much were you able to increase it after renovations?
0: Yeah. So, I was getting literally no income because there was no tenants when I closed. So Oh, they
1: left the first day. Okay. But how much were they getting? Do you know how much were they paying?
0: It was like about a third of what I now charge the tenants because of everything we've done. But... I mean, it was very, very low. Um, I, I I could tell why the property wasn't upgraded because there's no money to do it. I mean, Mm -hmm. he could barely, probably, he was barely able to cover all the expenses with how much he was getting in revenue. Um, so from, I, I didn't have any revenue, you know, since probably about the good after that six month point, then it took about, about a month or two to get the tenants in. So, but I was still paying a mortgage. Right you're still paying a mortgage that whole time, even though I'm not living in it. So I was also paying rent somewhere else the whole time um, throughout that whole process. Uh, but then the minute that, uh, you know, everything was rented out, I personally was self-managing. I got it fully occupied with great ten- tenants and then I turned it over to a manager and, um, does that answer your question?
1: <laughs> yes. So I think, you know, in your case, you saw that there, wa- there was, uh, you know, it wasn't safe for people to live there. So you had everybody out. But in other, um, in a different uh, scenario, you could have had one person out and remodel that unit and, you know, keep the cash flow from the other ones and then remodel the next one. And then, you know, like you could have done it in, in stages if it was a situation where it was more of a, just like an upgrade and not unsafe conditions. Correct?
0: Absolutely. Great point. Great point. But we did, I mean, we replaced all the windows, the foundation had issues, the roof and all the landscaping. Yeah. That's, we, we did think about that, but, and because all three of them were side by side in one unit and then one was detached, you know, it'd be, um, it'd be tough, but yeah, that's, that's a great point. for
1: sure. Yeah. I'm just thinking if you don't, you know, like you had to have, in this case, you had to have some money on the bank to be able to afford the mortgage for six months and um And the renovation, while well, it was being renovated, um, but if you don't want to do that, then you can just stage it right, so you start with one unit, then the next one, then the next one. i mean you could i mean i've done a renovation where I had tenants, and I changed the windows It's not the best scenario, but yeah. it can be done
0: <laughs> if I were to ask I, you know I would have confirmed that all holding costs like you know i would either have to factor that in and and just you know modify the loan or just make sure not even close unless, you know, I wasn't paying until there was the actual revenue coming in, then I would start paying. Um, But yeah, now I would either ask for something called interest only, because on the commercial debt, you can get debt and get what's called IO, where you interest only, so it's a fraction, a very, very small monthly payment while the rehab is going on. uh, And then you kind of refinance it once the tenants are in place and stabilized. but yeah, I don't think that there's, uh, there's an IO option when, you, when you're looking at the 203k loan because it's, again, it's a owner-occupied residential
1: property loan. All right, But, you know, those are, you know, that's the beauty of real estate. You have all these options, right? Um, that you can, you know, the same deal, you could have done it in different ways. Um, all right. So let's go to, finally, to the exit strategy. What was your plan for the exit and uh, what did you do? Hold holding the property for the long-term?
0: Absolutely, no intent to sell this thing um, at all. I just refinanced it into a beautiful investment loan, but it was a cash out refinance. So I was able to pull out $50,000 just completely tax-free, lower my mortgage payment about $300 a month and have a lot more equity in the property. Um, so it's, it's, I don't plan on selling that thing. There's, there's no reason it's in a very gentrified area. It's only getting better and better and better. Um, it's just in a great location and Pensacola is a growing market. So.
1: Absolutely. I I love the uh, cash out refi. So how does this uh, process work for the cash out refi for those that don't know? Uh, Because in my case, I had a property that I bought cash for five years and I didn't know that I could do a cash out refi until one day I was like, you know, how can I buy the next property? And then I was like, a light bulb went in, like, wait, I, I have that property that I paid cash. Like how can I take my money out? And then I started researching the options.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's something that, you know, you don't just, unless you kind of have that curiosity and open mind to learn more, um, then you might not learn about it unless someone just tells you about it. But those of you who are listening are open to learning. And, and so it's all you got to do is just ask, hey, is there a cash out option? And it's cool because again, owner occupy loans is tax-free money. It just goes right in your pocket.
1: Right, and that's part of kind of the house hack strategy as well, right? You buy it and, and you live there. You know, others are paying your, your um, mortgage. And then once you get enough equity on the property, then you can cash out refi where you just, you know, you tell the bank my property is worth more. I, so I want to do a, a refi and then you can take cash out uh, of the property and you keep the property. You don't have to sell it. Um, so that's, that's awesome. All right. Productivity hack. Um, so now we go to the part of the show where you are going to uh, share with us, uh, your productivity hack. This is uh, something that you have implemented in your business that has allowed you to grow and take you to the next level
0: yeah i'm kind of, and, and I'm, I'm i'm so happy that we're talking about this because i uh, kind of nerd out on this type of stuff because ultimately man if if you could just be more productive and and have more energy and have better time management and just get more done you will be happier more confident more fulfilled and live more of an abundant life right ultimately and if you can keep it and sustain it so why not be able to produce more and add more value to more people um but we have way too many distractions, too many distractions. Life is kind of too crazy. 2020 has just been like, where did, where did that come from? Go home. Like you're drunk. So, um, I, but I really want to focus on the time management right here and something specifically that I like to, um, is do is time block. So, you know, all you're doing is you're just hyper-focusing on during a 15, 20, 30, 60 minute time block. What am I going to do? Oh, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to go work out. I'm, this is exactly what I'm gonna do. I'm going to go follow up. I'm going to make that call, go to that meeting, just create a time block and then you have all this white space to kind of deal with it. And, you know, that's where you could, again, prioritize, what is most important or what is the most you know highest revenue producing items that you could do in your business or life um and uh but it's just it's just helps me because it's a reminder i you know i I check my the time block schedule before i go to bed the night before so i know exactly what i'm doing from 4 10 a.m when my alarm goes off you know all the way through the morning i see where my what where i have maybe time to chill you know for five minutes whatever but it has just been transformational. Time blocking uh, for me is just, it's really it's really helped me if I had to pick one thing. But there, there are a lot because I nerd out on this. I love this type of stuff.
1: <laughs> so how do you time block? So let's say, I, and what, do you use an app? Do you use your calendar? So expand a little bit on it because I, that's one of the things that I am like looking to implement in, in my life because there is so many things going on all the time for me. And, you know, having kids, there's always stuff uh, that comes up. So, you know, that's something that really resonates with me.
0: Absolutely. I mean, just, just think about like, you know, your whole, everything should be time blocked from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to sleep, you know, especially now you have to be intentional. If, if you're not controlling your day, somebody else is right. Um, and, and it's, some people think, think this is a little, you know, kind of just, it doesn't sit well with them. When I say, sometimes you have to time block time for your family, create that time for your spouse. This is between this hour and this hour, we are going to spend intentional time together, focus time, we'll go for a walk, talk about, you know, go on a date, do whatever. And, and same with the family. Otherwise you'll, we'll, we'll all be just be in our own virtual worlds unfo- during those unfocused times. So, you know, just be very intentional. And it's just, I use an the iCal app on the iPhone. That's it. It's just the default calendar app and you could just start start with this you know the minute you know okay that's something i have to do it's not written down anywhere um that you don't have any notification you know assign it a day and a time right and you should probably have a good pretty good idea of what you're doing and assign it a day and a time i mean and then you just as you kind of day after day you just say okay this is this is it i'm not only creating a to do checklist that'll notify you you know what you have to do at the time you have to do it then you just stop what you're doing and focus on that and then i mean once you kind of start getting into that habit, I have to make this phone call every Friday, time block it. I have to, you know, make this social post every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, time block it. Like I have very strict guidelines and then I'm so hyper-focused and you're able to get more done and then you'll have more freedom. It's crazy. When you have control of your time, that's more freedom for you to do the things you want to do by, because you're designing your day um, and you're not having others kind of design it, design it or direct it for you.
1: And and you probably adjusted it, you know, like you started with something and then you realize, okay, this is too little time or I need more time for this. So then you kind of adjust as you go.
0: Yeah. And, and time blocking works for me. It doesn't mean that it's guaranteed to work for you. It means if you're kind of resonating with what I'm saying and you actually go try to implement it. Cause I, I, I guarantee you most people won't, but those who challenge, who likes those challenges to, to grow and to get uncomfortable, <laughs> they will do it. They will try it. Um, and, and it, you might figure it out better than I did. I'm still learning like how to be more efficient with it, but I always ask myself, how could I be more efficient uh, with really everything, but this specifically. So um, just, because it works for me doesn't mean it's going to work for you but i it was it was pivotal uh pivotal for me so i it, it could be for you you know it's just all totally
1: depends that is awesome all right so if you're enjoying this podcast don't forget to subscribe to share with your friends and like it and visit my website taliinvestments.com you can listen to the podcast there or you can visit the, uh, the youtube channel annette tali
0: expert tips
1: All right. So this is the last part of the show where you're going to share three expert tips. And mm. uh, Tim is going to share how to invest as a veteran. What are the three best tips to invest as a veteran?
0: Yeah. And it, this is funny because at Active Duty Passive Income, we have this this motto. It is learn, network, take action, right? It's if you just memorize those three pillars and that's answering the question, it's learn, it's network, it's take action. And you have to be educated. If you really want something and you already have your why and it's desirable and it's emotional and you're working towards that, hone your education on it and be the best at it. Be able to speak very intelligently about it while you're learning network with others who are doing the same and who have already done the same that you are trying to achieve and they're giving back like a tribe accountability a community you know again this is what we created at adpi and and then while you're networking take action like again time block call the broker time block search 10 properties time block you know analyze 10 properties you know a day whatever it is and just really start controlling your time um, it's just um, again. It could, I'm sure it'll be helpful.
1: Awesome. All right, people. So don't forget, you gotta learn so you can talk in intelligently. You gotta network, and you know, networking is one of the things that has changed my life. Basically, I didn't understand what networking was before, and once I started. You know, joining the mastermind and meeting all these people and started talking to them, I'm like, oh, this is what it is, you know? And, and now I'm like partnering with one of our mastermind members to do a 420 unit. So that's to me, that's amazing, you know, that I can, you know, partner with these people that are doing amazing things. And then take action for sure. And, you know, one of the things that I always say is like, you don't have to do everything, you just take one step, one action that you can do today. And then you just do it. And next time that you have time, then you do do the next action. You don't have to overwhelm yourself with a hundred things to do because there is always something else.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, man. This is good. This is valuable stuff. I'm learning some things from you.
1: (laughs) Tim, this has been amazing. Thank you so much uh, for being an inspiration for a lot of people. If you're not following Tim on Instagram or Facebook, you gotta do it. He's always, you know, posting videos that are super motivational. So can, can you tell people where can they find you online?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Instagram at the Timothy Kelly, LinkedIn, I'm probably the most active on LinkedIn. It's a game. It's been a game changer for me. If you're not on LinkedIn, you need to get there if you're building a business. Um, So at the Timothy Kelly on LinkedIn and then, you know, Facebook, obviously in our Facebook group at the active duty, passive income Facebook group, Um, you know, check us out over there and you can find me on Facebook. And honestly, if if you're listening to this and, and this is inspiring you and, and you just have some questions, you know. I'm just gonna give you my cell phone number because um, all you gotta do is shoot me a text, and we'll set up a call. So it's eight four seven nine one zero nine one six one. There it is. I mean, it's you know, if if you feel like you should be shooting me a text, just do it, and we'll hop on a call. Um, it's just a free, you know, visionary coaching session. Let's call it for you just to help you out. So just just let me know nice. you, that you heard me on a uh, nuts podcast. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, you know, do it. You know, I, I guess I did not call you because I think I was listening and I didn't catch the number, but I did message you on Facebook and he replied and I was so surprised, you know, because at that time I was like, Oh, somebody in bigger pockets is so out of my league. So he did uh, answer and friend me on Facebook. So that's awesome. Yeah. All right, guys, yeah. thank you so much for listening. And thank you team for being here today.
0: Yeah. Be great guys. Take it easy.
1: This was Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Talee,
0: brought to you by Talley Investments. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Our goal is to provide amazing value on your real estate journey. Connect online at www.talleyinvestments.com, where you can find this episode and more. Did you like this episode? Subscribe, like, and share.